and open your Bible to the book of Jonah. We're going to be in the book of Jonah, four chapters tonight, and uh, we're doing an overview, uh, as you're well aware of. We overview the books that we're in, and so tonight we're in Jonah. It's a powerful, uh, a powerful little book, so many truths. Most of you have read through the book of Jonah, and you probably have a pretty good foundation in this book, I hope. And uh, uh, you, you, I, think, I think maybe in Jonah, more than any other book maybe that we've studied thus far, there are lessons that are obvious there. They're, 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 um, they're on the, they sort of stand out. They're like, they're like highlighted in yellow. This is an obvious lesson that God is teaching us uh, out of this book. And so they're all in the book of Jonah. And we're going to talk about some of them tonight. But let's begin reading in chapter 1, verse 1. We'll read a few verses and then we'll, we'll, we'll pray together, okay? Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, uh, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Now it's a great city, not because of some quality, but because of the quantity. It's, it was a big, it was a huge city, even back in this day, one of the notable cities in the world at that time. You ought to circle the next word. Okay, in verse number three, but, okay, he said, now I want you to go and, and uh, uh, prophesy to this city, cry out against it. Uh, but Jonah arose, uh, Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa. And he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was like to be broken. Then the mariners were afraid, and cried every man unto his God, and cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea, to lighten it uh, of them. But Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship, and, and he lay, and was fast asleep. And so the shipmaster came to him, and said unto him, What meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise, call upon thy God, if so be that God will think upon us, that we perish not. And they said every one to his fellow, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know for whose cause this evil is upon us. And so they cast lots, and the lot fell upon Jonah. And then said they unto him, Tell us, we pray thee, for whose cause this evil is upon us. What is thy occupation? And whence comest thou, and what is thy country, and of what people art thou? Boy, he didn't tell them a whole lot, did he? I mean, you know, they didn't know anything about him. Verse number 9, And he said unto them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, which hath made the sea and the dry land. And then were the men exceeding afraid, and said unto him, Why, why hast thou done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord, because he told, had told them. Then said they unto him, What shall we do unto, these, uh, unto thee, that the sea may be calm unto us? For the sea wrought and was tempestuous. And he said unto them, Take me up, and cast me forth into the sea, and so shall the sea be calm unto you. For I know that for my sake this great tempest is upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to bring it to land, but they could not, for the sea uh, wrought and was tempestuous against them. And wherefore they cried unto the Lord and said, We beseech thee, O Lord, we beseech thee, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not upon us innocent blood, for thou, O Lord, hast done as it pleased thee. So they took up Jonah, cast him forth into the sea, and the sea ceased from her raging. Then the men feared the Lord, exceeding and offered a sacrifice unto the Lord, and made vows. And now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Let's pray. Father, help us now, I pray. Give us the things, Lord, that we have need of, and, and uh, draw the lessons out for us, God, that would be beneficial to us and, and uh, would help us in our Christian walk. Uh, do, thy, do thy work in each heart as that heart needs it. And we'll thank you for what you do as we study the book of Jonah, in Jesus' name, amen. Now, Jonah, 
Jonah was a prophet that lived uh, in the city, a Galilean city of Gath-Hefer, and it was uh, about four miles north of Nazareth, okay? He, he um, uh, uh, prophesied during the reign of Jeroboam the, the, the second, who was king of Israel. He was, um, at that time, Israel's, uh, up until that time, probably Israel's most powerful king. And during his reign, the borders of Israel were expanded um, uh, to their greatest extent since uh, David and, and Solomon reigned. And since that time, uh, marauding uh, armies had taken land from them and their, their real estate had shrunk quite, uh, quite a bit. But under Jeroboam II, they reclaimed some of those lands. And so Israel, Israel was feeling pretty good about themselves at this time as far as regaining the land. Now, the problem was, was that Assyria, which was about 550 miles to the east, was a perpetual threat. There was always problems with the Assyrians. And in fact, uh, if you remember our, our study in, uh, under the prophets uh, Hosea and Amos, who were contemporaries of Jonah, um, there was prophecy telling the, the children of Israel that because of their rebellion against God, that God was going to use um, the Assyrians to, uh, to punish them, to overthrow them, to, 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 uh, bring, uh, uh, to bring correction into their life. Now, having heard those prophecies and already under the realization that the Assyrian Empire was obviously the big bully on the block, little Israel, anyone that had any patriotic feelings toward them, hated the Assyrians. I want you to understand something when we get into this book. There's a, there's a number of different reasons we're going to talk about, some of the reasons why perhaps that Jonah did not want to go and prophesy to Nineveh. But I, I, want, to, I, want, to, I want to emphasize this because it's very, very important. He despised them. There are other reasons. But he hated the people... He hated the people that he was called to prophesy to, and, uh, and, and he, he had no desire whatsoever to see anything spiritually uh, of value take place in, in, um, uh, in, in Assyria. So you can imagine, therefore, the consternation that must have filled Jonah's heart when God came to him and he said, <laughs> I want you to arise and I want you to go to Nineveh, okay? Now, he's not calling him, you know, he's not, that's not like him coming to somebody in Cuna and saying, look, I'd like to take, I, I want you to take the gospel message to McCall, okay? Everybody's going to McCall's going to think, dude, I'll go and I'll stop at Ice Cream Alley after I deliver my message, you know. And I forget how many flavors they've got, but, but it's, it's amazing. Uh, get the peanut butter, trust me, peanut butter chocolate. But anyhow, uh, that's not what this was like, okay? The Assyrians, first of all, had an extremely organized military machine. They rolled over people like a cheap piece of carpet. They were, they were known for their blitzes as they just ran through, they ran through uh, uh, different uh, people groups and just literally uh, just consumed them with their might and their power. But that's not the only thing. It's not like this was a military machine that everybody was afraid of and, and, and that they knew had military power. These people... These people prided themselves in their ability to torture their enemies. If you could go to the ancient ruins of Assyria, and you can, you can look this up online. If you can go to the ancient ruins of Assyria, you will find on the walls, on the walls of their palaces, in, in, the, uh, in, the, in the bathhouses, engravings on their wall, sculptures on their wall of them gouging the eyes out of people. Isn't that, isn't that lovely wallpaper? Honey, I want some new wallpaper. What is it? I, gouging eyes out of people. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable the things that are depicted upon the walls of their palaces. It's amazing. Dismembering people, arms and legs. And they've got pictures of them a group of them holding a guy down and severing his arm. And that's a depiction. They've got that on their wall. They want you to see. They want you to know they were proud of it. And in fact, and in fact they, published, um, they published news of it. They spread the word. We want everybody to know what we do and what we do well. 
it got so bad, it got so bad um, that what we call post-traumatic stress syndrome was actually recorded as being suffered by Assyrian soldiers because under the, under the authority of their government, they were gouging people's eyes out and dismembering them. Uh, uh, unbelievable things. They would take the children of the, the lands where they conquered and they would burn them alive. They would, they would take people and fillet the skin off of them and use the skin tacked across their walls to dry. It was unbelievable. And so it became so grotesque that the very members of their, uh, of, of their army that did this were actually suffering uh, uh, stress disorders. It's in their writings. They, they, were, they, were, they were being haunted. They were having nightmares. And uh, they were finding it very hard to live in life because of the things that they were were engaged in. And so it's a, uh, it's, it, they were very creative about their brutality and, and it, it was a psychological warfare. And, and literally what would happen, like Genghis Khan, if you've ever read the history of Genghis Khan, when Genghis Khan would ride up to cities, the entire cities would surrender. Just like, dude, Genghis, who, who's on the front lawn? Genghis Khan. Okay, we surrender. There's no fight. Nobody walked out. They, they'd go out with a flag and say, Let's, could we talk this out? Let's arrange how we're going to do this battle. No, if Genghis Khan is on your front yard, the best thing to do is put something on the stove, invite him in, and sit down for supper and, and have a parlay, okay? Because, because he, entire cities surrendered to him, okay? And, and in fact, uh, uh, in China, uh, China 40,000 women jumped off the walls of China and committed suicide rather than fall into the hands of of Genghis Khan and his uh, marauding army, okay? So that's sort of the way it was with the Assyrian Empire here. The brutality was so bad that entire cities just, okay, no, there's no fight. We, we give up. They surrendered to their will and, and yielded to them. And, and so there's no, there's no shocking wonder, you know. Hey, Jonah, I want you to go to... Nineveh, and I want you to deliver a message, here's the key word, against, okay? I want you to deliver a message against that great city. And Jonah's not popping gum and feeling real good about himself right then. So when we come in, we immediately find in this book, we immediately bump into the call of God on the life of the prophet. But then we find out the difficulty behind that call, and now all of a sudden he's thinking through this thing, and it's like, eh, I don't want to do that. So we're not shocked in verse number 3, but Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish. And what's he running from? What is it? The presence of the Lord. That's exactly right. He's, he's not running so much from the Ninevites as he's running from God. The Ninevites aren't bothering him right now. I'm going to leave them alone. They're going to leave me alone. We're all good. Okay, I hadn't seen them. They hadn't seen me. Have no desire to go there, but God's trying to put me in a position where I'm going to go and face down this city, and so He's He's trying to flee from the under Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, and so He goes to Joppa, found a ship going to Tarshish, and notice this next phrase because it's important. He paid the fare thereof. All right, He paid the fare thereof. We're going to talk about that in just a moment, but let me just let me just jump in and say that right now. Whenever you run from God, there's always a price. Okay, these words, these words that you find here, they're not just, they're not just uh, indiscriminately given out by God. He, he paid the fare thereof, okay? There was a price for him to pay. Let me tell you something about God. God's not going to pay your trip to Tarshish for you. He's not buying you tickets, okay? He's not going to rent you a hotel room, all right? He's not going to rent you a chariot from... Uh, you, you know, from, from, from one of the chariot rental companies there. He, he's not going to set you up. Listen, when God has called you to Nineveh, God's not going to set you up in Tarshish. God's not going to make it easy for you in Tarshish. In fact, God's going to disrupt, God's going to disrupt your journey to Tarshish because that's leading you out of His will and in away in from Him, okay? And so... Uh, he went down into it uh, to go with them into Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, chapter 1 
in verse number 3. Now, first of all, let me say this, and, and, and these are just some basic points. I'm going to get into some major thoughts in a minute. Let me just give you a couple of basic thoughts in the introduction of this. First of all, he had every right to fear for his life. Okay? He had every right to fear for his life. Um, every right to. Um, there are certain places in America that if you go, it's pretty dangerous. Okay? I remember we, were, we, we, we had a delay one time on our flight. Dixie was with me, and we were in a hotel in Atlanta, Georgia. Now, I'm a Georgia boy. I know about Atlanta and that kind of thing. Dixie, Dixie grew up in, 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 in the rural south of Georgia, and so she's not quite aware of some things. So we went into, uh, we got a ride on Uber, and we went into um, Walmart. And so we're inside Walmart, and I'm shopping for some things, and I can't remember if she didn't have her cell phone or what happened, but she decided she'd go outside and look for me. So she walks out in the parking lot of Atlanta, Georgia, Walmart, and a lady pulls up to her and says to her, what in the world are you doing? And she said, I'm looking for your daddy. And the lady said to her, your daddy's not going to help you at all. You better get back in Walmart and better not put your foot out of Walmart again until you find your daddy. Your daddy can't help you here. And, and what she was saying to her, and I appreciated her frankness and bluntness, what she was saying to her is simply this, that, this isn't where you want to be. Okay? That's, that's what he had every right to fear for his life. Every single right to fear for his life. Um, is it Six Flags or Disney World? Mr. Toad's Wild Ride? Which one is it? Disney World, okay. How many of you have ever been there? Please don't waste your money. They've gone woke. Okay, please stop doing that. But anyhow, uh, uh, we, Mr. Toad's Wild Ride, when you get on it, you know what starts happening? Turn back, go back, danger, go back. And it's, it, it's just, it's funny because lights are blaring and everything. It's just trying to turn it. Well, in his mind, when, when God said, I want you to leave Israel and I want you to go to Nineveh, in his mind, Mr. Toad's wild ride went off. Everything inside Jonah is saying, don't do it, boy. No, sir. No. Have you heard of Tarshish? It's a really nice place. And so he, he's, he's, he's not wanting to do that. He had every right to fear for his life. The second thing is, he, like everyone else in the world at that time, despised, listen to me, with the deepest hatred I could describe, the whole world hated the Assyrians. They were the bully, and they were torturous, and they were brutal, and they made an art of it. It's unbelievable. Here's the third reason. Listen carefully to this. Don't miss this. He was afraid for his life, and like everybody else, he hated them anyhow, so he didn't want to see revival come there. Third thing is this. He knew God so well. Remember he said, I fear the Lord. He knew the Lord so well as a prophet of God, he was afraid that what God would do when he got there and preached, he was afraid that, that God would be merciful to him. He knew, he knew that if they responded to his message, all right, God's going God's to, God, I don't want God to forgive them. You ever felt that way about somebody? I, I, don't, I don't want them, I don't really want them getting right. I'm not, I don't want them, no, I, I want them getting justice. I don't want them getting right. I want them, I want them getting paid back. I want, I want justice to come in their life. Look at, look at chapter 4. Jump over to chapter 4 toward the end. He's, he's, telling, he's, he's giving the reason. He's giving really honestly what is the main reason why he didn't want to go to Nineveh. Chapter 4, verse 2. And he prayed unto the Lord and he said this, I pray thee, I pray thee, O Lord, um, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Didn't I say this was going to happen? Okay. Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow of anger and of great kindness, and repentest thee of the evil. I knew you were going to change your mind turn around on what you were going to do with these people. And so he was certain that if the inhabitants of that city were responsive to his message, then God would spare them. And he did not, he didn't want that. Now, so here's Jonah. We know the story. He goes to Joppa. He buys a ticket. He gets on a ship. He's heading for Tarshish, by the way, which was a, a Phoenician colony 
on the southwest coast of Spain, 2,000 miles to the west. <laughs> That's a long way, son. He ain't planning on hanging around, okay? He's he not going to stick around church. He's gone. 2,000 miles away, all right? That's where he's headed. Uh, and he's fleeing from the presence of the Lord. You know that. And the, the express design of the trip was to get away from God and the call of God and, and, and rid himself of the pressure that he felt, he felt from that. Now, what man proposes, God, God disposes, okay? And so here's his plans. My plans is out of here. And God said, no, you're not doing that. And so we know the story of the storm that arose. We'll talk about that in just a little bit. And the, 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 the people on the ship, the sailors on the ship, uh, as they cast him into um, the sea, uh, three nights and three days in the belly of the whale. And there's no way to put this more, I mean, there's no way to make this night. He was vomited out, okay? That's what happened. He was vomited out on the beach. And if you read the, if you read the description, you'll find out that, that his, his body was, I mean, you know, you're not going to stay three days in the belly of a whale and come out with your hair all groomed, you know. My wife is a sort of a realist, unfortunately, and so we're watching a Western, and this guy rides up, and uh, there's this girl there, and she's beautiful, and he kisses her, and they ride off into the sunset, and Susie says, yeah, like, that's going to really happen. Can you imagine her makeup after, after a cattle drive looking like that? Can you imagine after eating beef jerky for two months, his breath smelling good enough to kiss her? And so we said, what, just, just stop, please, and let us watch the movie. It's John Wayne, anyhow, so it's all good. And so, so here's Jonah now. He's been in the belly of a whale, vomited up on a, vomited up on a beach. Okay? And, and he makes his journey into Nineveh, and he preaches this simplistic message. Now, I don't know if this is the full body of his message. That's just all we're given. So it's either the full body or the direct gist of what he said, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Amazingly, amazingly, nobody was checking their cell phones. Everybody was paying attention. And all of a sudden, there was mass repentance from the king, Asher Dan III, according to Assyrian records, down to the commoner. Every single person repented. Listen to me. It was the greatest revival in Bible history. Just amazing what took place there. Now, there's some lessons that we learn. There's some lessons that we learn from this book. Let me give you the lessons, just, just some practical things now that we draw from the book of Jonah. If you haven't read it lately, go home and read it tonight. It's, it's four chapters, not long. It's absolutely fascinating. Read the description. Just read the description that Jonah gives of himself, okay? And, and, and I mean, it's, it's, it's noteworthy. I believe he lost all of his hair and, and uh, stomach acid and all that went on. I just believe it was burning his skin. Now you can read it all in there, and it, it's fascinating. First lesson is this. Listen to me carefully. Ready? Don't miss this. God's primary purpose is not our happiness. Oh, my word, that's shocking. I thought God existed to make Oldino happy. No. You know, that sometimes God, I get the idea, uh, God doesn't care. Because no, happy is the people whose God is the Lord. We know that. We're happy because, because God is our Lord. But, but God, God doesn't, God has a purpose for my life. And sometimes that purpose isn't exactly what I like. I talked to the church planners this morning in my session this morning, and I talked about them how that things don't always work out, and that sometimes, sometimes um, there's tests and difficulties that come our way, and in those times, he's teaching us some things, okay? Um, it's, it's fascinating, some of the scripture. David said, it's good that I have been afflicted. What? Did you stay in the sun too long? <laughs> it's good that you were afflicted? Well, why? that I might learn thy statutes. David said this, God has put me in some situations 
where it's difficult. Let me give you another verse of Scripture. Listen to this one. It's in Hebrews, and it said, talking about Jesus, that he learned obedience through the things that he suffered. Well, chew on that one for a while. That's, that's, I'm, not sure, I'm not sure any of us can fully wrap our mind around that thought, but it's in the Bible. It's in the Scripture. Did you know that before Bethlehem, did you know that before Bethlehem, Jesus never had to obey? He was the Word. But when He was born in Bethlehem, He lived a pattern for us to teach us something. And what is that? What did He teach us? What does that verse say He taught us? He, he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God hath highly exalted Him, and given Him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things on earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Philippians chapter 2. So the obedience that he learned, okay, why did he do that? Because he's teaching us, he's teaching us that, that our greatest schoolmaster sometimes are the hardships and the hard times that we go through in life and, 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 and everything doesn't turn out the way that we want them to. Okay. And I've said this to you before, but, but you know, um, 10 years ago, 2012, a little over 10 years now, I never, the only thing I'd ever had done was my tonsils taken out when I was a kid. They lied to me. So I decided I'd never go back to the hospital. They said, if the tonsils taken out, you could eat all the ice cream you wanted to eat. I could, I, when I ate ice cream, I felt like I was swallowing sulfuric acid. Are you kidding me? I didn't want ice cream. I wanted to be left alone. It was the most miserable thing I ever had happen to me. And, 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 and uh, that's the only thing I had ever had done. And in 2012, I had cancer. And then 2017, I had ablation. And then in 2019, I had a perforated gallbladder. And then in 2000, uh, then 2020, I had COVID. And then a couple of weeks ago, that, the heart pauses came, and I have to go in and they uh, stick a, a pacemaker in me so that if that ever happens again, it'll, it'll kick on. And so, uh, yeah, I, it's, you know what? I, I don't like any of that, didn't plan any of that, but there it is. So what do you do with it? I'll tell you what you do with it. You get out a yellow legal pad. If you're more modern than that, use your, use your notebook, okay? Uh, your, your iBook. But anyhow, whatever, whatever it is, listen to me. Take good notes because God's teaching you some things, okay? When He puts us in hard times and we go through trials, there's always something for us to learn. And one of the things I learn is this. You know what? God, God doesn't live every day to make me happy. God has a purpose. Listen carefully. God has a purpose that is more important in my life than my own happiness. That's, a, that's something we got to get a hold of. God's purpose for Dean is more vital for Dean than Dean's happiness is for Dean. And so we have, to, we, have to, we have to grasp that. God's plans are always greater than ours. And by the way, there's a trust in God. There's a trust that God knows best that Jonah was missing. Jonah's face, he's looking at all the externals. Dude, I do not. I hate them. They hate us. I, I, I don't want to put foot there. I don't, are you kidding me? I've heard of the depictions of the torture on the walls of their palace. I don't want to become one of those. You know, a big spot, here's Jonah, and they're ripping my head off. I don't want, I don't want that to happen to me, so I'm, I'm not going. He, he, he didn't have the trust in God. And by the way, when you implement your own plan, it never works out well. And in fact, if you'll read the story, I think it's chapter 3, of him in the belly of the whale and his description of what's happening in that belly... What do you do in the belly of a whale? Well, there's not a lot to do, okay? You're alone and it's pretty painful. And when you read that description, you're going to find out running from God, implementing your own plan doesn't ever work out well. Number two, lesson number two, listen to this. This is important. Lesson number two, you can run, but you can't hide. You can run, but you cannot hide. Can you imagine? Look, think of this. Think of this, would you? Think of it. Think of this. Think of his concept of God. Now, he's in the flesh right now. He's afraid right now, okay? 
So he's just trying any way he can to get out from doing what God's called him to do. So in his, in his fear, his concept of God shrinks God down so small that less what I can do. I can go 2,000 miles away. God won't know where I'm at. I could run from God. Now, I don't know if you've ever run from God. I have. I have. I was a teenage boy. God was calling me to give my life into the ministry, and I knew it. I remember the messages. I remember, I remember, I just remember the nerves. I remember knowing that God had a plan for my life. And quite frankly, my concern was not for me, it was for others. If I fulfill God's plan for me, who's going to quarterback the Super Bowl team? Okay, but anyhow, I, yeah, I just, no, I had my own plans for my life. I knew what I wanted to do, okay? I had my own dreams and my own schemes and my own ideas, but, but they weren't God's. And so the reality of the matter is uh, I, I, I tried it, but then I realized uh, that, that, that God knew where I was at. Listen to me. Listen, this is so true. Everywhere I turned, God was there. I'm 17 years old, graduate from high school. I get in my car, God's calling me to preach. Man, it's eating me alive. And so, and, and so I'm nervous about everything. Leaving home, Bible college, the whole bit. I've got plans, I've got things I want to buy, things I want to do. So I got in my 440 Cornet Super Sport, Krager mags all the way around, white vinyl top, white bucket seats, turbo shift. I mean, listen, it was the thing. And uh, rally stripe, hood scoops. Anyhow, so I, I got in it, 440 Magnum. Okay, and I'm driving down to see my brother in Orlando because I'm getting out of Dodge. God's working on me in my home church in Savannah. I don't want to go there anymore. I'm tired of it. I'm, I'm, I don't want to be a preacher. Hello. It's not what I got planned. Hello. Not, not, not signing my name on that. And I took off. And I won't go into the long story, but let me just say this to you. This might help you somewhere down the line. But 440 Magnums don't go far on a, on a tank of gas. Okay. So I wound up at a gas station in Jacksonville, Florida, calling my dad on the phone and saying, Pop, I'm, I'm, um, I'm, and he said, where are you? We've been wondering where you are. I said, I'm in Jacksonville. Well, what are you doing? And I just said, I don't know. Uh, things are a mess right now. I'm just in a mess right now. So he asked me get the address. So I told him, and so he looked up. Back then it was the Yellow Pages. You couldn't Google anything. He looked at the Yellow Pages, found a Western Union, and he Western Union me the money to get me back home. And I walked in the door. And my dad, that was just that uh, my dad just was just a tough guy. Was never mean, but just tough. He sat me down and he said, "Son, I don't know what's going on in your life, but it's not worth what you're doing." You need, to, you need to find some peace. It was one of the most important talks that my father ever gave me in my life. And what it did was it made me realize you can run, but you can't hide. See, I thought I was getting away from God by just going from Savannah to Orlando, okay? And God's like, dude, I'm everywhere. And everywhere I turned during that time frame in my life, I found out that God was there. You know what happened when I surrendered? God was there too. And every turn of my life... Everything that I ever needed from that point on, God showed Himself strong on my behalf. Go with me to Psalm. Let's, let's jump to Psalm. Go to Psalm 139 just for a moment. All right, let's, let's, see what David, let's see what David found out. Psalm 139. Psalm 139. Look at verse 7. This is what the, this is what, this is what the question, two questions, all right? Psalm 139, verse 7. Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike unto thee. You ever, you ever see the night vision scopes where they're looking through the night vision scope and they can see things clearly? You know? Chad used to hunt with those uh, for deer. But anyhow, 
uh, yeah, so, you know, it's, it's amazing how in the dark you can draw things out that light. Well, what this is saying is, look, even in the darkness of night, I can't hide from you because the night to you is like broad daylight. So we can't run from God. We might as well face up and, and square up with God and find out what it is that God wants. Lesson number three that I draw from this, and that's this. Disobedience to God always leads where? Downward. Okay? That's a key. This is a key. This is a key lesson in the book of Jonah. And God doesn't use words haphazardly. So look at me in verse number three. Um, but Jonah rose up to flee into Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went where? Well, he's going down. Okay, so he went down to Joppa. And he found a ship going to Tarshish, and he paid the fare thereof and went where? Down into it to go with him to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Listen to me carefully. Later, when the storm arises, where's Jonah? He's down in the belly of the ship asleep. So every time we see Jonah at this point, from this point, when he, when he turns from God to go his own direction, he's going down. He's just going down. I've, I, look, I have known people, I have known people that have run from the presence of God into biz, big, big business, big jobs, big plans. They've got it all made, and they, you know, they're convincing me what they've got this all mapped out. It's all good. Pastor, listen to me. I, look, I, I know what God's doing here. Yeah, and you know what? Every step is down. And they wonder why they are where they are in their life because they don't realize that when you walk away from God, it's a, it's a downward trend every single time. It's a downward trend. By the way, churches take the same direction sometimes. Trying to walk away from preaching the truth, from preaching the Word of God. They try to, they try to apply, they try to apply uh, secular business principles to attract crowds, and rather than preaching the truth, they begin to entertain. And if you'll watch it, if you'll watch it, there's a, there's a downward trend in those that, that, that's alarming. It's over and over in this book. It's repeated multiple times. His disobedience led him down. Far from, listen, far from where God could bless him. God was going to bless him in Nineveh, and he did bless him in Nineveh. Wait a minute, he did. He's going to bless him in Nineveh, but he's not in Nineveh. Where is he? He's in the, he, he's in the belly of a ship and, and, and went down into the belly of the whale, you see. I love the story where God says to Elijah, go down to the brook Cherith and there, circle that word, go down to the brook Cherith and there I will feed thee. So what does he do? He goes down to the brook Cherith and Raven Express brings him food in, okay? And it was better than in an out Burger. Anyhow, so, yeah, uh, especially their fries. But anyhow, so, so he's, he's there, and, 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 and where is he? He's there. Where is there where you're supposed to be? Where does God bless you? There. I don't know where that is for you. I know where it is for me. I can't say pinpoint everything in your life for you. You've got to figure out where God wants you. But it's, that is the there. That is where God will bless you. I'm right where I'm supposed to be. I love Idaho. Love South Valley. So thankful for this place. So grateful that God led me here. And you know what? It's there that God has blessed our life because it's, it's where He wants us. It's where we're supposed to do. Don't, don't expect God to buy your ticket to Tarshish for you. He's not going to do it. He's not going to rent you a room. He's not going to set you up. He's not giving you pocket money in Tarshish. That's not where he wants you. So you'll find no blessings waiting for you in Tarshish, 2,000 miles away from the will of God. It's not going to happen. Lesson number four. Now, this is important. I want you to get this, okay? Lesson number four. Listen carefully. Indifference often masquerades as peace. I want you to think about that. Indifference often masquerades as peace. Look, look at me in chapter 1, verse 4. Let's read it again, all right? Everybody read it together with me. You with me? Okay. Right here. Watch this. But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was like to be broken. Now watch this. The mariners were what? They were afraid and cried every man unto his God and cast forth the wind. These guys weren't even saved. They weren't, I mean, they, they, they weren't Christian. They didn't believe in God. Watch this. And, and they cast him into the sea to lighten it of them. Watch this. But Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship 
And he lay, was fast asleep. So much so that the shipmaster, while everybody upstairs is afraid they're going to die, shipmaster goes to him and, and said unto him, What meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise, call upon thy God, if so be that God will think upon us that we perish not. Dude, get up. What are you doing sleeping? Well, let me tell you what Jonah wasn't doing. He wasn't, he wasn't at peace in the ship. Here's the reality of the matter. Jonah was numbed. He was numbed. I was awake when they did my surgery, and uh, I was laying there in the room, and I don't know what they gave me, but I was, I was looping. It was amazing, some of the places I visited and the people I saw, and it's just amazing to me. And I thought, so this is what Aladdin felt like. What a carpet ride. But anyhow, so I'm there, and they said, we'll, you, you know, you'll be awake the whole... Here, they came into my room, and they said, you'll mostly, be, you'll mostly be awake while this is going on. And I said, ma'am... If it's okay with you, I'd mostly like to be asleep. <laughs> mostly awake? That's ridiculous. Anyhow, uh, like they're going to pull a tooth or something. You know, I, I, one time I had a hook in my hand, and she said to me when I went to the ER, my dad just ripped him out. And so dad walked out of the room, and so I went, nope, not doing that. I'm going to the ER. You know, he's tougher than I am. And so uh, he had ripped one out, you know, a couple of years earlier. And so, son, I just ripped mine out. I said, okay, yeah, well, that's great. He walked out of the room. I gave it one tug and said, no, sir, son. Take me to where they got Novocaine. So anyhow, I went there, and she looked at me and, in the ER, and she said to me, she said, I'm pretty sure he'll deaden your hand. I'm like, I'm pretty sure he will too, or he ain't touching me. If you don't deaden this baby, he's not touching that hook. So give me the juice, you know. So I'm, I'm laying there on the, in, in the bed there, uh, and they, you know, they put a, they put a thing over your head and he's, Mr. Herring, how are you? And I'm like, Hey man. And so, uh, how you doing? And, uh, he's chatting with me and carrying on. And I remember feeling over on this shoulder later, I felt a lot of pressure cause I think they were pushing it up in there and my shoulder all the way down is, is like yellow and blue from, you know, like a bruise. So underneath my arm here is all bruised and, and they were pushing on it, I think. So it was hard to get it in because of my muscles. And uh, all the years in the gym I spent. And so, and so um, but I remember, I remember feeling all around this area the needles. It didn't hurt because, again, I didn't care. You need a foot? Here's mine. You know, I would, that's, that's the, that was where I was at, you know. And he's talking to me, how you doing in there? Doing great. And I feel this all the way around. But you know what I didn't feel? I didn't feel when they cut. I didn't feel any incision. Didn't feel any cut whatsoever. Do you know why? Because I was numbed by what they were doing. Let me tell you, let me tell you about Jonah. Here's Jonah's problem. He has committed to running from God, and because of that now, with his commitment to going 2,000 miles away from God and away from the will of God for his life, now Jonah has suddenly numbed himself to the events around him. And while everybody up on deck is fearing for their life, Old Jonah is sound asleep. And you know what would happen? Look at him, would you? What a peaceful guy. Isn't that amazing that he's able? How can you sleep during a storm like this? It's absolutely amazing. Well, let me tell you something. When Jesus was asleep in the ship, it was because of peace. When Jonah was asleep in the ship, it was because he was indifferent and had become numbed to the things of God he just really didn't care. Now, wait a minute. What didn't he care about? He didn't care about what was going up on deck with everybody else. Okay, and that brings us, that brings us to my next point, and that's simply this. And I'll deal with this quickly. I'll deal with this quickly. But let me say this. Backsliders endanger everybody else's life or everybody else's healthy, uh, health or everybody else's prosperity. So here's these guys on deck they got a guy in there that's running from God, and what happens to them? They think they're going to die, and the Bible says itself that the ship might, be, might, might break. Okay? So, so the, it's, it, this isn't like, oh, come on, guys, grow up. No, no, no. The, the, this was real danger they were in. All right. Second of all, they weren't happy. Their voyage set out really good. Now, all of a sudden, they get a backslider on board, and guess what happens? They become miserable. Third of all, you know what they had to do? They had to lighten their load. They're, they're not throwing over cinder blocks. Okay? They're throwing over, they're throwing money over. 
They're tossing their wealth into the ocean. Talking about lightening a load, they're lightening the wallet. Okay. And I want to tell you something. Listen carefully to me. Back, backsliders cost. And the price is never just paid by them and them alone. Sometimes it's paid by parents. Sometimes it's paid by siblings. But a backslider costs everybody. Somebody decides, I'm going to do life my way. Well, let me think. Why, why, why don't you just think about the people that love you and have invested in you and that you supposedly love? Why don't you think about them? Think about what you're costing your family, sometimes your church, your friends, your testimony. It's always true. Backsliders always endanger others. The sixth thing I want to say is this. I'm just going to take a moment on this because this is a good one, and I want you to listen to me carefully. Detours aren't always dead ends. And I'm thankful for that story. I mean, here's a guy running from God 2,000 miles, and guess what God does? Second chance. Now, can I tell you something about me? Because I told you that I ran from God. Can I tell you something about me? Wow, man, I've depleted the second chance many times over. In fact, the reality of the matter is, if, if we be honest, even though sometimes it's only momentarily in our life, but we often find ourselves trying to choose our own way rather than God's way. So God sent him on a detour. He's in the belly of the whale three days, three nights, vomited up on a, on a shore there, and he goes to Nineveh, okay? And so he winds up, after the detour, where he belongs, okay? where he belongs. Now, boy, chapter 4, I, I don't know, it's, it's an amazing chapter. And, and from chapter 4, we, we find, if, if you'll read this, well, look, look, so, so here's what happened. A revival takes place, okay? People are getting right. Altars are filled. I mean, listen to me, altars are filled. I mean, my word, has anybody ever seen a revival like this revival? Everybody, it's just, it's unbelievable what happens. Verse number one of chapter four, and Jonah said, it's never been like this before. This is amazing. Thank God. No, it did what? It displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very what? Dude, son, are you kidding me? These people are repenting. I mean, really, my, my message should have been burn, baby, burn, you know. He hated them. Just burn this place to the ground. By the way, God, wait, do me a favor. Would you just look inside the temple? Look at the depictions that they're proud of that they did to everybody. Look at what, he, look what they did to people. I don't want revival here. I want you to raise this place to the ground. And so he was unhappy. It displeased him. And uh, then verse number 4 well, let's, let's just, okay, look, look at verse 3. I, you talk about drama. Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me. It's better for me to die than to live. Here's a revival. And he said, I've got a death wish. Really? Yeah, because I didn't want this. So you just, you just go ahead and kill me. Get it over with. What a drama queen. Verse number 4. Then said the Lord, doest thou well to be angry? And so Jonah went out of the city. We know that he sat down. You know the story of the gourd and all that. Now watch this. Watch this. Verse 11. Here's what God said to him. Well, let's verse 10. Then saith the Lord, Thou hast had pity on the gourd for the which thou hast not labored, neither makest it, madest it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should not I spare Nineveh, that great city wherein are more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand, and also much cattle? God said, Do you know, do you know that you're having more compassion on a gourd because you thought it was bringing you some relief? You care more about yourself than an entire city of people. 
that have no idea why they are the way they are. You know what that tells me, and that's my last point, your heart can go a wall. He's in the right place, but his heart's not. He's there, but his heart's not. Remember Jesus said, these people draw nigh unto me with their what? Lips, but where's their heart? Far from me. Boom. 2023, the average church life. Well, they're singing, having a great time. But when church is over and they're, they're not playing church any longer, don't bother them about their life because their heart's not in what they're doing. And that's a tragic, tragic thing. Do you know that the prodigal's heart left home before his body ever did? The prodigal's heart was in the far country. He had heard rumors of the far country. The prodigal had walked out of his daddy's house heart-wise long before he ever said, give me what I got coming, I'm gone. You see, long, long before that. Jonah didn't weep over this city. He was angry. Jonah didn't weep over this city. He was displeased. But boy, go with me, would you please, to Jerusalem. And there stands... There stands the prophet, God's dear son. And what does he do? He weeps over Jerusalem. You see, he had the heart for a city that Jonah never had. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I would have gathered you together as a mother hen doth her chicks, but ye would not. You wouldn't do it. You wouldn't come. You wouldn't heed my call. And so, the prophet that wept over the city was the son of God, prophet and priest and king. Okay. But Jonah's, Jonah's, heart, Jonah's heart was never in it. I think that one of the dangers is that because sometimes in churches and in Christianity, we're so performance-based, which is sad, but we become so performance-based, all I have to do is check off a series of boxes, and guess what I automatically am? I'm spiritual. But sometimes we check off all those boxes. We look right, we walk right, we talk right. There's things we don't do. But the one box that's not checked is the heart box. Is your heart really in it? Do you really have a passion for God? So vitally important. Uh, that, that we do that. Well, let's pray, and then we'll just thank God for uh, the, the, the uh, book of Jonah. Go home and read it tonight if you hadn't read it in a while. And uh, study it. It'll be, it'll, be a, it'll be a blessing to you. Father, we love you. Thank you today for your love and your mercy. We're grateful to you. And I pray now that you'll uh, just bless our uh, week. Lord, give us the things that we have need of. I pray... Uh, by your grace and in your name, Lord, that we'll serve you and, and uh, be faithful to you. In the name of Jesus, I pray these things. Amen.